Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley, and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Carolyn Ward, a medical doctor and director of clinical strategy at Particle Health, on the topic of the ethics of AI within health data management. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. And my guest today is Carolyn Ward, MD, Director of Clinical Strategy at Particle Health. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you for having me. Well, this is a great topic. We're talking today about the ethics in AI in health data management. And this is something that I was giving Carolyn kind of a background uh, in my, I've got an advisory role. My daughter works in healthcare. I've got two STEM kids, and uh, uh, both of them are kind of on the data science side of their fields, which is just, I guess, an indication of where a lot of your know, technology in in science and healthcare are going. There's just so much data management uh, around that. But before we dig into that, please tell me more about yourself, your role at Particle Health, and what Particle Health does. So my name is Carolyn Ward. I'm an internal medicine doctor by training. I did all of my uh, training, medical training in New Jersey. So I went to Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson for medical school and residency. Um, And out of residency, I practiced primary care at a health tech startup called Forward. And a lot of what I saw in my training, working in a hospital, working in an outpatient practice, was a lot of the inefficiencies that happen in our healthcare system. And There's a lot of barriers to patients getting proper care. But one of the things that I think, especially in the last few years, we're really seeing come to a head is the exchange of information. As patients are generating more and more data, um, as the human species generally is generating more data, uh, what we're seeing, especially in the healthcare industry, is that data is extremely fragmented. Maybe you go to an urgent care around the corner. Maybe you go to a primary care who is not in the same health system as your specialist. And then you go to another hospital, right? And those systems do not talk to each other. Sometimes even within the same health system, those facilities do not talk to each other. So it becomes more and more difficult for clinicians to put that whole picture together and understand what is actually happening to the patient that's in front of them to make the best, most accurate uh, clinical decision at the point of care. And so that's ultimately why I joined Particle. What Particle is really working on is solving a problem kind of in twofold. The first one is um, using intelligent logic to go to the national networks to gather patient clinical data. So there's three national networks, Commonwealth, eHealth Exchange, and Care Quality. And these different electronic health records systems across the United States are connected into these national networks. What we are able to do is essentially take patient demographics, so say Carolyn Ward, um, and some additional information about me, and then go and query um, parts of these networks to find data. So you would be able to find um, 
my OBGYN and my primary care and the fact that I moved three years ago from New Jersey to California. So a lot of my healthcare happened in New Jersey. I go and see a primary care doctor now in California. They don't have access to any of that information in the traditional health system, right? So I'm going in and having to fill out like five to 10 pages of paperwork. Um, and that's really reliant on me as a patient understanding and remembering everything that has happened to me in my health. Well, and don't you too, don't you have to, like you can request your health records and I know there's a process for that. It's a legal process to pass that and it's over state lines and all those things. But even then it, it, it the, the danger is it's not going to be comprehensive. Like to your point, you could have had your data striped across five different doctors or practice you know, areas in New Jersey and when you put that request in, you really have to go back to each of those sources and know to request from each of those sources. A hundred percent. And so even from the patient side, right, if you wanted to collect your own health records, you would essentially have to call every facility you've ever been to. You probably aren't going to remember all of them, but you would have to call them. You would have to go through their record request. Legally, they must grant you access to that information. But logistically, how you actually get that information is quite difficult. If you've ever been to a records department for a hospital, actually getting your health records is extremely difficult, even though legally they must give it to you. Um, and a lot of what we're solving for is on the physician or clinician side, if I'm a primary care physician and I am taking care of you, but you went and saw an endocrinologist, even that data transfer, which should be really easy from provider to provider, is very difficult. The way most practices do it today is actually through the fax machine. So mm. I fax a request to your endocrinologist. Maybe they get that fax. Maybe I don't hear back. Maybe I have to fax it like five more times. They eventually say, okay, let me give you the record um, for Christian and send it over to you. And then what they'll send me is like a 200 page scanned paper document, right? Yeah. What then happens to even get that data into my system is uh, somebody in my office prints it out. Uh, they upload, they scan and upload it into my system. I'm now responsible for clicking through 200 pages of a PDF document, incredibly laborious, like concept of having pathway workflow to go through. But there's a lot of what I consider data loss in that, in the sense that I probably requested that um, information for like one or two pieces of data elements I was looking for, maybe your diabetes testing or some specific treatment. But there's probably a lot of information in there that I wasn't necessarily looking for, but could potentially be useful. And it's not being entered in a structured way into the health data management system because it's locked in a PDF, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so I think even being able to unlock the potential of truly having information exchange in a structured and usable way between these systems is extremely useful. I mean, is there one of the problems I, I was actually going to share like so, uh, at the beginning of my career. So, but when I was 19, uh, I started out as a, I worked for a law firm. And so I did a lot of uh, docu served document subpoenas and went to doctor's offices and unfortunately had to carry that little like Xerox machine thing and sit and create like uh, uh, image wow. copies of all of those, which is awful. When you get that giant medical stack of things and there's staples at different levels and paper clips and all of that. And I essentially, I had to do one page at a time, remove the staples. I'd have to try and remember, you know, staple it back in the same form that it was. It was just a nightmare process. But part of the problem with that 
and I, I remember this from working with the attorneys was that, you know, part of the issue was that there were sometimes there's data in that, that we shouldn't have had access to, or we, we didn't need. So it's, it's not just not getting enough and it's not collected. Sometimes it's, it's too much. And so, you know, through these arcane old school methods, I mean, there's just no way it's, it's like, it's an all or nothing to get access to that. It's part of what makes it so messy. And if it wasn't me as the runner for the law firm going and collecting this info, serving that document subpoena, then the, you know, the, the nurses or assistants would have to do that same activity and then bill back to the, to the law firm. Cause we do have to pay people for their time to do that stuff, but then to collect all that and send it back. Yeah. And are we getting a comprehensive, are we getting all the information? Are we not? Well, uh, the other thought was that in, so having worked in IT my entire career, 33 years, uh, it, you know, worked on a number of projects where we're going to these disparate systems and trying to merge data is that you have to have I mean, simple common denominators between them to identify, because we found this all the time where we were merging records and realized doing an audit midway through, whoa, 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 we're attaching things that are not the same. Yes, yeah, same first and last name, different person, you know, yeah. little details like that. So I, 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 you, you have to almost have to solve it at the larger scale. Um, and maybe that's part of what you're doing. You're looking at them saying that there's a standard way of to, to collect all this data, have your disparate systems do all the things that are unique. But when it comes together, here's how we actually merge them. There's standards around that. Absolutely. So um, you're bringing up a really good point, which um, is, I would say, addressed partially, at least, um, by the 21st Century um, Cures Act, which has this part of it for anti-information blocking. There is a, a framework called TAFCA that it has to do with like the technical framework for data exchange. So there are specific data formats that health systems are used to exchanging data in, which helps to solve part of that problem that you're mentioning. However, as anybody in the data world knows, anytime you're pulling data together from a bunch of different places, um, there's a lot of issues with uni like unifying that data, right? Even yeah. let's say you were able to get everything in the same exact format, there's a lot of duplicates, right? So your blood lab value is probably like, you know, maybe you got blood work done two years ago. That one value is probably at your specialist records and also in your primary care records, maybe at the lab center records, maybe in a hospital record. Like, so there is a lot that um, our company does to try to like deduplicate, clean up that data so that it's actually usable. Because going back to one of your other points, it's on the one hand, we want to be able to give people that people that comprehensive view of a patient. On the other hand, it's a lot of data, right? Like what we also don't want to do is just data dump on clinicians and providers and say, hey, best of luck. We've given you uh, 15 years worth of history on this patient and every single visit and encounter they've ever had, which is probably hundreds. Um, and you can use your brain and your eyeballs to try to make sense of that. That's, you know, with everything that's already happening in the healthcare system with primary care physician shortages, um, increasing healthcare costs, uh, plateauing of healthcare outcomes, despite increasing costs, giving more data is not necessarily always the right answer. And so that's really the mm -hmm. second 
goal of what Particle is working on, which is how do you actually lift usable and actual insights from that data? So we believe that like having comprehensive data is the foundation, right? If you've only got a partial view, any insights you lift are only ever going to be incomplete. So you need to gather that comprehensive foundation first and be able to build insights off of that, which is why we've taken this particular approach. Um, and a lot of what we're working on now is trying to come up with intelligent systems to be able to say, what are things that you can do when you have the full view of the patient that you can't do if you only had a small slice of the pie? Um, and so that's a lot of what we're working on, which is really interesting. A lot of it is in the data science world for sure. Um, and, and it's also a lot about collaboration. How do we improve the efficiency of collaboration within the healthcare system, which, you know, there's a big push in the industry right now for value-based care, which is you get paid for outcomes, you know, tying reimbursements to value generated for the patient. Um, and a lot of, in my opinion, a lot of the barriers to truly achieving the aims of value-based care has to do with the inability for providers to collaborate effectively. And so mm -hmm. if you're ever only working solo and you only ever see a small slice of the pie, it's really, really hard to push those end outcomes for your patients. Well, it, that's why it's, and I think I'm sure most people that are hearing this can relate to um, where you go to, even within the same, uh, uh, you know, hospital system, you go to your primary, you go to, well, first you meet with, you know, the, the, the RN and then you meet with the doctor and then you go and meet with maybe a specialist and, and maybe a secondary specialist and you find you're, you're repeating the entire story. It's like, don't you have, I told you all this already. It's like same, exactly. same system. No, it's like, no, but asking all those basic questions, but it's, again, I, I want to, to, to broaden it out across industries. I mean, this is why it's frustrating when you call the bank or you talk to your IT person and they're going through all the rudimentary things as much as, and I know this from, as on the IT side, where I've tried to integrate sales and operations systems and internal project tracking, all of that, so that there's a comprehensive view of the employee, a comprehensive view of the, uh, of the customer, of the partner of that. So that if I go and I call you as a partner, I know, okay, that you talked to Susan on my team last and here's what was discussed and all that. Like it's, I mean, we, my co current company, we work hard at making sure that we have this unified view of customers and partners. So we can exact do that exact thing. We can follow the sun, solve problems, have conversations and have very quickly to be able to go and look up so that I know when I call you next, I see that you've had three other conversations since the last time I talked to you. And I, I mean, that's really complex and hard to do within the healthcare sector. And I, I don't know if, if, and maybe this is kind of a side conversation, but I'm aware of efforts over the last five, six years to develop uh, based on like blockchain technology, this idea of uh, the user own, like I own my healthcare records and I know that it's they're they're stable and everybody else, these other systems would actually come and feed into that, that system that I controlled. I don't know where that's gone or, 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 or if anywhere, or if that's just a, it's like pushing just a completely different model um, to collect and store uh, and manage this, this info. But is, are, is this, 
is kind of where particle health is like going towards that direction? So this is actually super interesting because particle, when it was first founded, was founded on the belief that patients should have complete access and control over their health records, which seems really obvious when I say it out loud, but is not actually practically true in essence in the United States. What do I mean by that? Um, I think that most people would agree that you should own your own data, right? You should have control over who has access to your data and especially, and, and we definitely believe this in like our internet data. We have a lot of thoughts about this in our country in our financial data mm -hmm. um, and certainly the privacy and the control over our healthcare data. The problem is, is that we don't actually have a system to allow patients to do that. So if you think about it, there's a lot of ways that people have tried to solve this problem, right? Like all of the patient portals out there, which also don't talk to each other, right? Um, and also a lot of um, solutions that try to bring data into the hands of patients. Um, essentially, they go through these portals and they scrape data and try to pull it all together. First, it is also uh, dependent on you as the patient remembering your logins to every portal, which mm -hmm. also is not possible. Um, and so that absolutely is some is one aspect of trying or one view of trying to solve essentially the same problem. And what we have really found at Particle and why we kind of took a bit of a, uh, a pivot, even though that is still a core belief at Particle that patients should own and control their own data is we really went first into that provider and treatment field for providers to have access. If they're directly treating you, they should have access to your healthcare data that's relevant for them to make a healthcare decision. And I think most patients would also agree that that is something I want. I want my doctor to know everything that's happened to me um, right. because there is, there's just a lot of barriers in place, not just from a regulatory standpoint, but even from a technology standpoint of like, Yes, in the United States, we believe patients should access their data, but like how practically speaking would they do that outside of collecting paper records, which is the most common way that patients have their data, right? Like I've had tons of patients come into me and they have a little filing cabinet <laughs> that they bring into that first doctor's visit to be like, hey, I have access. God forbid you lose one of those pieces of paper, right? I mean, right. that's not a great system. And so... I really do just believe that like there is a way for technology to scale this in a way that makes sense for patients, for providers, um, and even for like a lot of ancillary services that patients, you know, as a patient, as a customer, you might want somebody else to have access for a short period of time or specific data elements, not your whole record, kind of going back to your whole point, right? Um, especially outside of the treatment provider space, when you start to think about things like life insurance and, you know, other uses that people might have, you as a patient or a customer may want to share some aspects of your healthcare, but you're not going to want to send over the whole kit and caboodle, right? So even that like kind of granular access control, I think is super important moving forward as well. Yeah, no, I was just thinking as an example of, uh, again, when we think of our total healthcare. So we've got also have my dentist. I also have my optometrist. Um, do I need yeah. to share all of that deep medical information between my doctor and my dentist? No, but if I go in for oral surgery, I might want to share some of that information. And likewise, my, uh, you know, uh, my, my 
medical doctor may want to know that I had, uh, you know, an extreme reaction to anesthesia in that oral surgery. And what was that? What, what, you know, what happened there? Um, yeah. So uh, it's, it's an interesting, again, I, I look at this from the enterprise, from, you know, uh, you know, industry, um, that general IT is that we have similar problems. It's not always as sensitive of information, but you know, there's sometimes where like I always use the example of in a, a leadership team that want that's discussing financials for the company. They want to pull in somebody low level to answer a specific question. They don't want to share all of the financial information. They just want to be able to collaborate on that one aspect of this one right. facet of the financials, collaborate on get that input, then they're back outside and it rolls back up into that secure solution. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting set of, of problems that we're not gonna cover all within uh, one hour discussion. But I, I am interested to know, like what is on the AI side of this? How are you leveraging AI now to to look at this? And, and, and maybe we start with, part of it is, and I, I keep making this point because people don't seem to understand is that all of the data management, all of the information architecture, how you catalog and store and cleanse your data, all of those things have a direct impact on the quality of the responses that you get out of the, your AI solutions as well. So you, you, we need to solve all those problems, not just attach a new front end that we can use exactly. natural language questions to, to, to get deeper insights. Exactly. I think you are hitting on it. And, and one of the, the themes that we're kind of going through is that a lot of the problems that we are trying to solve are actually common across multiple industries, um, especially technology-based industries. And so I wouldn't necessarily say that a lot of the issues we're running up against are new. Um, but there obviously are nuances within the healthcare system. Um, but I think it also kind of speaks to the fact that uh, we haven't, as a human species, come up with great solutions yet of how to connect data sources and like make a lot of meaning out of them. Some industries have definitely gone much further than others. Um, and certainly we know that in the healthcare system, a lot of that data collection and transfer of knowledge is manual. It's person to person. And a lot of that onus right now is on the patient to remember what are you allergic to? What bad reactions to medications, like you said, that you have, right? Like a lot of it is you telling the surgeon, I can't have that anesthesia, right? Which, yeah. is, which affects patient outcomes and safety. Um, not everyone has the capability of remembering everything that happens to them. And people with a lot of complex and chronic conditions, um, it really shouldn't be on them to remember all that, right? And so Kind of going back to the AI part, um, a lot of what we are trying to do is, you know, first with, let's start with like data cleansing. And like, even if we just look at something like deduplication of records, like strictly this record is exactly the same as this record. It's just a duplicate repeating of that record. The data itself, when we're talking about duplicates in the sense of, um, you really don't need to know about the one CAT scan five times, right? Uh, right. There's a lot of that in the healthcare system. And when we actually go in and start applying intelligent logic to how we want to dedupe, there are things that you can do like strictly all the fields that we get are exactly the same. Great. 
But even then it leaves a lot of information on the table that's really still very difficult to ingest and use, especially for health organizations that are by nature up to this point, not really data management organizations, right? A lot of healthcare organizations don't have data scientists. I think that's yeah. going to change in the future, but where they stand right now, they don't. Yeah. Now, it's changing oh, yeah. everywhere. It's changing <laughs> yeah. everywhere in business and in, in, in technology. So I, yeah, I think it is just a matter of time. Well, so like, so my, my daughter works for a, a, a vendor that again, working with hospital systems on doing the data science side of that. So there are businesses that are sprouting up that are that's technology right. focused, but that's all that they do is in the healthcare field, trying to solve aspects of this, of this problem. I realized too, is that, uh, you know, compared to what a lot of us do in the enterprise, in the IT side, it's not as complex, as complex as, as it is. It's not as complex as just the size, the scope, the locations of this data. I mean, it's a big problem space, but I mean, going back, so I worked in the manufacturing sector for a few years and was part of discussions where there were sometimes government-led, sometimes privately-led efforts to go and centralize and create standards of communication between uh, operations and manufacturing platforms, you know, leveraging XML to say, it's like, look, when the, these different data types, uh, and, and so essentially when you communicate, um, it was able to look at and recognize those, the common naming conventions for data types and, and you could have, again, disparate systems that could still do fundamental integrations and work together and share data because of those standards. Is there a similar effort within the medical space? Yes, I would say so. So these national networks, they currently pass data in a data type called CCDA, which is the way that we, when we ingest data, that's the format we use. And some of our customers will also use that format. We'll pass that along to them. But the truth is, is that um, CCDA is also not a, a great uh, format in and of itself. It's just the format that the healthcare system uses. Yeah. And so there's it, it been It never a, is. It's, it's yeah, always something exactly. that's still old and outdated and arcane. But, but I mean, the power comes from everybody leveraging that, even though it's, it's old and there's a lot of other pieces around that, but you've got to start somewhere. Exactly. And so now there's this push to go to something called FHIR, F-H-I-R, which is a new data format that really takes these different data elements and put the, puts them into buckets. That's the way I think about them. So you will have all of your medication-related data in one resource or all of your conditions or problem-related data in one resource, all the provider data in one resource, all the encounters in one resource. And obviously there's a lot of like webbing and crossover that happens because all these pieces of data are actually tied together. But mm -hmm. it does allow you to start getting a little bit more specific about the types of data that you pull, where you're moving those pieces of data, how you want to ingest it, what, where you want to go and look for data. So it makes the, the medical data from health records way more usable, which is awesome. Our company also will parse that fire into like a flat JSON format, which is really great for analytics. It's tabular. Mm -hmm. Almost everyone knows how to use it. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of what we're doing is um, using, you know, intelligent technology to figure out how we want to parse those over, but also using things like um, normalization to be able to uh, allow, kind of to your point, 
us to make the connections because not only is this data coming from a lot of different health systems, but the way that this data is clinically coded comes from a bunch of different code banks. So, you know, in the diagnosis, are you getting the clinical code from an ICD-10 code or is it a SNOMED code? Are the labs coming over, uh, are the meds coming over an RX norm? Are they coming over NDC? Like you need an ability to crosswalk those so that when I say the medication lisinopril, we know everything, all the codes related to that. We understand what is the dose, what is the SIG, when are you supposed to date that, who prescribed that? Um, and you need the ability, in order to make this data actionable, you need the ability to understand, for every user to understand exactly what you're talking about, no matter how it's mentioned, right? You have to normalize that data, standardize it. And then we also want to use things like natural language processing and machine learning to be able to look through the unstructured data. So that's like the free text, which is a large bulk of our um, health data to start to look insights from that. And in doctor's handwriting. So you've got that added complexity. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And like, and even, you know, one of the, um, the things about data quality that comes up quite a bit in healthcare is that a lot of what is documented in health records is really for like insurance and billing purposes, which mm-hmm. may not give you the full flavor of what is actually happening at the point of care with that patient, right? There were, as providers, kind of taught to like put certain codes in for specific reimbursement purposes so that certain procedures are covered and things like that, which is um, somewhat useful. But when you want to really get into like the rich depth of the clinical data, a lot of that is in free text. It's about the context in which some of these structured codes are coming in. Um, and you want to be able to capture that as well. I was just thinking of that, like that you can, the AI applications uh, of this. I mean, you have the ability to help with the, in the pattern recognition and the cleanup, just with the categorization, like that mm-hmm. side of it, the cleanup side of it. Then you have what AI can do once it's cleaned up in actually getting the insights out of that. And then a third part, which is, I guess, technically part of the insights, but you could then develop AI specifically to look at how can this be then optimized to make sure that we're the right codes leveraged to give the, you know, the, 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 the best coverage to these, uh, to these, these people, because there's so much complexity with the constantly changing around programs, healthcare, you know, level of care and all those things. And sometimes you wonder, it's like, why is it I went in and this, I had this activity and then suddenly, and they, they bill me, they send me this extreme bill. And then I, I get another version of it and half of it's gone off of it. And like, well, which one am I supposed to pay? And, and part yeah. of that is, part of that is like you, and this is just my personal experience. You know, you wait for the healthcare providers to go through and because they're doing like, they do the actual cost first. That's that scary bill that you get. And then the follow-up one where they actually go and apply what your coverage covers and whatever programs there, if you're, if you don't have some coverage and so you're paying out of pocket and then there's other discounts that are available, you kind of have to wait for all those things kind of run its course. Well, if you have AI also helping optimize for that, it could speed up the billing process, but also ensure that whatever possible discount that's out there, you know, be applied that you're getting the best value out of that because i mean right now you're leaving so much of that up to human error and that's where exactly so much of the frustration comes from a hundred percent i mean there's so many applications for this and you know you start to think about um like 
can we use AI to show utilization patterns that lead to new diagnoses before they happen, hospitalizations before they happen, right? You start to think about how can we help providers better risk stratify their patients? So you understand what exactly, like how likely is it that the patient in front of you is going to develop a progression in their disease, a new disease, um, you know, having to go to more specialists, needing to be on more meds. That's all really important in the world that we're moving towards because um, we just don't have enough providers, right? And so we see yeah. that there is a, this like kind of trend where care is being like kind of pushed across multiple different kind of providers. We've got digital health, we've got um, Medicare wraparound services, you know, we have pharmacists starting to take on a little bit of treatment. We're starting, and it's really because there's like, just literally not enough doctors and there's a right. huge primary care shortage. So moving forward, this problem's probably going to get worse. Um, we're not going to be able to push, like no matter how many increased residency spots you make, you're not going to get enough doctors for the way that we are moving in our population. And so the question now becomes, can we use this information and the data that our patients are generating to be able to help physicians to understand where, where should they be spending their time, right? Do yeah. we need a physician to be prescribing an antibiotic for a urinary tract infection? No, we don't, right? And right. so what we do is we need that physician to be taking care of that really complex congestive heart failure patient who isn't being well-managed despite all the optimal meds. So that question, I think, can be answered in the data and better risk stratifying, understanding where patients have been so that we can understand where they're going and better utilize resources that way. Well, you know, there's, so I don't know if you're familiar, like in, in Utah, they, I know that it's uh, like Intermountain Health has won a bunch of awards, IHC, it's my current um, provider here, but one of the things that they did and other states have done something similar, but have brought back that idea of the uh, local, the town clinic and so you have a, a doctor that's there, but it's really each location run by, my understanding comes through the fact that my uh, sister's an RN and worked at one of these for years. And so it's a PA that really leads the locations. The doctor might even move between two locations in two different towns, but you've got a PA, you've got some RNs, and then you've got other healthcare workers that are there. And this is, of course, if you uh, sever an arm, go to the hospital, don't go to the <laughs> They'll go to the clinic, but for the majority of preventive care and lower level stuff, and you know, uh, th you have the ability to, you want to go see somebody like that, that model. Um, I actually did my first, uh, this last, last year, I did my first telehealth where I just dialed in. Like I, like I knew what I had, it wasn't COVID. I tested negative. It was a sinus infection. I'm just one of those people that had sinus infections my entire life. I said, I, and I knew that after over a week of being sick, it wasn't getting better. Antibiotics was the only way I could do that. I was able to go and do that all online, you know, do a video chat and, and take care of that. Both of those would benefit greatly from, again, all the shared information. Um, because I, I think one of the, remember reading about this with IHC, one of the, they talked about the benefits of this was exactly what we talked about, the shortage of physicians, the shortage of nurses, of being able to do the majority of this, that, that's where you have the healthcare workers that are, I, I don't know all the levels of nurses, but, you know, they weren't RNs, they were, you know, they've got a certificate, they're in there, but they're doing the majority of the 
moving people around, helping people on, on the ground, and then up to the PA and the doctor. That sorry for folks that don't PA, um, not in the theater. It's a it's the physician assistant, which is I believe is the highest level of nurse. Yeah, it's actually a different um, type of training program. Yeah. 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 So, but, but anyway, with, with all of that, it, a, a big part of it was trying to reverse the trend. You know, well, one of not having enough medical professionals and then the burnout, the risk, the danger of people that are just, I can't do this anymore. Uh, uh, you know, I just, I'm overloaded and people leaving the profession, which yeah. is, adds to that that issue so i mean is that a big part is a physician burnout is the nurse burnout is that big part of what you guys are focused on as well yeah so i mean in my personal belief i think that there's obviously a lot of different reasons for burnout but in my experience a big part of it is that people go into healthcare to help people right um and they usually tend to be people who like to interact with other people because there's a lot of other jobs you can get that help humanity that does not require you to talk to people um and people often go into healthcare because it's intellectually stimulating it's you you feel like you have impact it's meaningful um but then when you actually get to practicing medicine in the healthcare system you realize that you spend a very, very limited amount of time actually practicing medicine in front of the patient at bedside, right? Um, you spend most of it documenting your thought process, what you want to do, why you want to do it, justifying it to health insurances. And that's not like, it doesn't really fulfill the reason why people went into healthcare. And I think that burns people out. It causes people to feel unmotivated, disconnected from other people and their patients. Um, and it's ultimately taking people who are um, highly autonomous, highly intelligent, usually very like personable, like like to be people facing and giving, telling them that that is what they're going to be able to do, but then giving them an actual job where they just sit in front of a computer all day. And that yeah. just, that, that mismatch causes a lot of stress and distress, right? And it causes a lot of people to leave the healthcare system. And you really want to be able to do is allow those people to work on the challenging cases, the people who need that extra touch, who need that help, um, and be able, even at like a non-doctor level, like even for nurses and PAs and people who want to also be people facing, you want to allow them to do more of that um, converse, what I consider like conversational medicine, which mm -hmm. is that like education, understanding the barriers, you know, you want to lose weight. There's a lot that goes into that. We need to have some conversations around prevention and diet and exercise. And when you think about like, how does that conversation go in today's world? It's literally me telling you, you need to diet and exercise. And that's it, because that's all we have time for. So how, how can we free people up to have those conversations that we know ultimately will be more impactful if we can actually get there? Yeah. Well, that's a uh, look. It's uh, again go, going back to the enterprise. Um, when you think of data management, you want to automate as much as possible. Exactly. So that you, it's it's it. it everything always kind of goes back to the eighty twenty rule. You want eighty percent of it to be handled. That it tags it automatically. That based on the diagnosis or the the information, the screen pops up with all the possible related relevant codes you just like tap 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 the you know, select from the list based on that it goes and applies those but then you can dive into spend your focus your time on the 20 percent 
figuring out what what's actually happening the emotional toll of the sickness that that side of it i mean yeah. we used to talk about you know bedside manner you go watch a black and white anything movie tv show and there's a doctor interaction and so much of it is about the bedside manner the relationship between doctor and patient that is so much of that is lost I, honestly, I, I I can't remember the last dozen doctors that I had. I had one when I lived in California before I left in early 2000s. Loved a great relationship with that doctor. Had the same doctor for 12, 14 years. Wow. And knew that, remembered me. Like my, my chiropractor remembers like my kids' names, asked about what's going on, remembers from the last time that I, that I saw him. But that it's so important to have that that discussion because there's a lot that you miss when you're not talking with people when you don't build those connections with people and you might uncover other information you might you know uh yeah it's 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 tough i mean sometimes i i realize that i do the same thing i go in with the doctor that i don't know and i just like give answer the yes or no questions about whatever ailment that i have where i know i could have a richer experience and probably get more detail if I'm more open and sharing. Yeah. So I, 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 it goes both ways. So if we're able to remove that, not just hand me the clipboard when I enter the doctor's office to fill out the form, you know, but remember the basic information, but, but have something that's more interactive. I think it's going to be better for the, for the medical professionals and it'll be better for the patients. A hundred percent. I think this has a lot to do with patient engagement as well, right? Like if like the experience of going in to see a doctor and having them ask you about basic medical information, again, doesn't inspire a ton of confidence. Um, and also if you have 15 minutes with that person, you're not going to open up about intimate details about your life. Right. Um, and so it, it both from the physician and from the patient side, not having access to that data and having being able to leverage it to create a meaningful relationship that will actually help somebody to change the way that they live their life and ultimately the outcomes that they achieve in their life health-wise. Um, when you don't have that type of relationship, you don't have the time for that, you don't have the space for that. I. I personally think that's one of the reasons why we've seen a lot of plateauing in healthcare outcomes, despite how much money we try to throw at the problem. You, you know, one of the reasons I was really interested in this discussion, because I think, uh, you know, I was, it's just like, do, am I going to have to like pick apart the things that are kind of universally uh, applicable to other industries? Like, I don't think so. We, we've talked about, again, the, that's why the, all the things that ring true, like I understand not being a healthcare person but because they're the exact same problems with different sets of data across other industries. And I think that fundamental issue of people need to talk more to each other too. It's like, you can't manage, I always say this, you can't manage by spreadsheet. How many leaders, managers, <laughs> they want a solution that they can go and they never have to interact with people. It's like, you can't avoid that. It gives you data, it gives you insights. You still need to have those conversations. They should be, more in tune with what's actually happening it should be improved you should you know other discussions it gives you more options in the decision tree of trying to figure out what's going on with the health and the life of this person but i mean it's it's so it's, it's data points it's it's capturing that data surfacing the data at the right time in the right place 
and intelligent ways of getting those deeper insights. And that is something that is universal across all of these different systems. That's part of the reason why I love like this whole information management collaboration space. Just these are universal truths. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Carolyn, really appreciate your time. This is again, fascinating space. I'll, I'll have to, uh, you know, I might need to put you in touch with this, uh, uh, this company that I'm an advisor for, uh, might, you might be interested in what they're doing. They may be interested in talking to you as well, but, um, really appreciate your time. Absolutely. This has been a ton of fun. You've been listening to the collab talk podcast. New episodes are published weekly, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast platforms. Thanks for listening. Thank you.